Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. Walter Schorholt here alongside Kevin Krosky of True Wealth Design. He's the president and wealth advisor there, serving you throughout the greater Pittsburgh area, southwest Florida, and, of course, the home base, northeast Ohio. You can also find us online from anywhere at truewealthdesign.com. Folks, get ready for it. Uh, unfortunately, he does not have the golden pipes today, <laughs> but he is. the show must go on, Kevin. You're embodying that, uh, that showbiz spirit. I'm, I'm proud of you. There you go. And <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had the the golden pipes. What's the old saying that um, maybe a little self-deprecating humor, maybe I have the face for radio or face for podcasting, but certainly not the golden pipes. There you go. There um, you go. <laughs> in fact, my kids are still at the age where uh, they don't know that they inherited daddy's voice. So they sing and it's like the cutest, but most awful sounding thing in the world. <laughs> and it's all my fault. <laughs> they'll, they'll be able to get away with it for a few more years. And then, uh, then, then they'll start realizing, oh, I don't have the gift maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it'll be a sad day for sure in the Krosky household. But um, I, I used to be part of what we called the Frog Choir, uh, Kevin, which was uh, it didn't matter what your voice sounded like. It was the passion behind the music. That was what was important. So it was a choir made up of uh, all guys who are terrible at singing. So all, <laughs> all we were really going for was heart, passion and volume that those were our strengths. The Frog Choir? The Frog Choir is what, is what it was called, yeah. I might have to tuck that in the back pocket and bring it out from time <laughs> to time, Walter. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have the good radio voice, but uh, it did not translate to music, unfortunately. <laughs> well, very good. Well, um, I'm not sure how to make the, uh, the, the nice segue here, but work in a frog somehow. But maybe, maybe this, maybe the markets have been kind of having like a frog in the throat over the last several months. And there it is. There, there it we is. go. I pulled that out um, some, some way, shape or form. But, um, you know, today I, I, I don't really have much prepared, but, you know, I know a lot of people are probably looking at their portfolios and wondering what the heck is going on. You know, stocks are down, bonds are down, um, and they're really not understanding and they're concerned. So I thought we'd probably, it would probably be worthwhile for everybody just to go ahead and kind of talk through what's been going on as well as, you know, having some reasonable expectations and what certain purposes of investments are in your portfolio and, and, you know, really touch on diversification as well. Um, I think, and Dr. Finca, who you know we had on recently, um, kind of touched on this. But you know, one of the things that he said in closing, what a bit of a pessimistic, but probably a realistic tone, was just a lot of bad news for retirees in terms of low expected returns. You know, some inflation that we've been having, and that's really come to manifest just over the last you know several weeks. And we've seen that in the investment market. So I thought that's what we just kind of riff on that today and, and tackle it. And if I get too far down the rabbit hole or start using too many numbers uh, or or kind of acronyms, you can go ahead and hit the uh, the nerd alert uh, or the, the, the good old egghead alert. I'll get it queued up. Yeah, I'll get it ready you. to go. Yeah. <laughs> but more importantly, bring me back and uh, and don't let me go down there too far. Okay. Fantastic. Well, I am definitely, I'm sitting here with my hand raised, Kevin, as someone who's, you know, just in all honesty, somebody who's looking at the market and feeling a little, you know, despite all the calmness that you present on the show and the education you provide, that emotional bone is taking over a little bit. And yeah, I, I feel nervous. I feel the, the, the effects of the roller coaster up and down. So I'm looking forward to your, your calming guidance on the show today. Well, that means you're a human, Walter. Well, that's um, a good thing, it, right? Uh, yes. A, a quickest. I mean, we all are, I guess, to 
I don't want to say varying degrees. Uh, you know, we're all, you know, our unique snowflakes, right? And I used to say that all the time, but now snowflake has some some other connotation. Than you you, you said it before it got all twisted into something else. <laughs> yeah. Darn it. Um, they stole my word. Um, but, you know, candidly, one of the things that makes a really good investor probably also makes a good psychopath is, is lack of empathy when you can really just be very rational and thinking through things. Uh, there's been a lot of different uh, neuroscience brain studies um, that have showed this to be the case. In fact, probably my favorite, and this isn't necessarily tied to empathy, but but the amygdala, the rear part of your brain that is, you know, kind of, you know, the lesser developed, if you will, it was the fight or flight mechanism, you know, <laughs> it can't distinguish between a bear market or a bear in the woods. Um, you know, the latter of the two is probably more um, <laughs> risky to your existence. Uh, but there was a study, I think it was like 2005. Uh, I'm going from memory here, but it was like out of University of California in Davis and they studied people with damage to their amygdala and put them through a series of um, stimulus response type questions around investing. And the conclusion was that the people with brain damage were actually better investors than healthy brain people um, <laughs> because they weren't as emotional, because they weren't um, as fascinating. As likely, Absolutely likely. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and so it's, you know, and then I'll kind of set this up uh, to the next episode we're going to do. I'm going to have, you know, my partner, Tyler Emmerich on, and we're going to talk about some of these, I don't want to say tricks that our brain plays on us. I mean, they, they tend to work really well in many areas of our lives, but when it comes to investing, um, they can actually tend to cause harm. So it doesn't mean that our brains aren't working properly or what have you, but there are some tricks or shortcuts that the brain uses. It's very, very useful in other areas of our life that don't you know, work so well when it comes to investing. So that's, it's kind of where we're going to go to, um, in the next episode, but it, it'll have some play into today too. So we have this and, and even before we kind of get into, I guess the, the returns and diversification and all that, that jazz, let's, let's not lose sight of the purpose of all this. You know, obviously nobody likes to see their accounts go down, but, um, as we've talked about and practically preached on the podcast over the years, you know, really, you know, you, what's the purpose of the money? Uh, the purpose of the money is, is not just to see how many dollars that you can accumulate. It's to make sure that your lifestyle is being being able to be maintained and preserved over time. Um, you know, when you do go ahead and turn off your, your paycheck and what you've accumulated has to last the rest of your, your lifetime. And we don't know how long that is. And we don't know what inflation is going to be. And yes, the future is uncertain, but you know, you know, step number one is have your money last at least a bit, a little bit longer than you do. We have our retire smarter solution that we go through that six step process that, you know, really kind of compartmentalizes these. And I think helps people understand really what's required to have a good plan in place to make sure that their goals are met, that their lifestyle is preserved and that we're making smart decisions. Um, I think it's episode 45 if you want to go back and take a listen to it. But, uh, you know, the investments, the point being is they're not looked at in isolation. They're looked at in, in relative to, you know, your lifestyle relative to your financial life plan. Your investments need to be stress tested against that life plan. You need to measure your required return. How much, you know, do you really need to produce to go ahead and make sure that you have a high probability of, of meeting, you know, your goals and maintaining your lifestyle and what have you that you need to measure your capacity for risk. You know, how much risk can you legitimately afford to take? A lot of clients can take quite a bit. 
But uh, then the third variable there is they may not feel comfortable with it. And we call that risk tolerance. So that's more the emotional side of risk taking. All of those are very, very important. So I, even though we're going to talk about investments today, I don't want to lose sight that that first step that I just highlighted is, is, is really where you need to start and is really, really important. You know, and as I mentioned, when we had Dr. Finca on the podcast, and and thanks again to Dr. Finca, I'm sure he's not going to listen to this, but I had a lot of people reach out to me. Um, we, we seem to have a lot of advisors that actually listen to the podcast and have sh- positively shared that they've actually picked up a lot of things that they've used to help clients. So it's been kind of a pretty cool thing. Um, and a lot of them hadn't heard of Dr. Finca and actually got a lot of good takeaways from that. Had uh, several clients actually told me it was one of their favorite episodes, uh, favorite series. So that was really, really um, great feedback to hear. But as I mentioned, you know, he talked about, you know, the low return expectations, really the way he phrased it was the bad news for retirees today. You know, people, not that they've been retired for maybe 10 years, you know, people that have been retired for 10 years have had really, really good returns over the last 10 years. They've had low inflation and they've kind of made it through a sort of a retirement red zone where, you know, those first few years leading up to and into retirement tend to be the most risky and determine, uh, largely determine the success or failure of a retirement plan. So what he's talking about is really the people that are kind of, you know, in that retirement red zone today, the people that are, you know, nearly approaching or just getting into retirement. And he's saying for those people that, you know, really the news is pretty bad. And for those reasons, I said, you know, the markets are generally expensive, whether it's the bond markets, the stock markets or the real estate markets. All markets are pretty well expensive. Sure, we've enjoyed quite high returns, but a lot of those positive returns have arguably been kind of pushed forward over the preceding years and really are going to take away from what we can expect going forward. Um, we talked about inflation, and it's not just inflation there, but it's really, and this is something we're going to get into today, it's really um, changing expectations. So it's not that, hey, inflation is 2 or 3 or 7%, but it's really when those expectations of like, hey, we're expecting maybe 3%, but now we're getting something much higher than that. Or, hey, we think, you know, inflation is transitory due to COVID, but, you know, we have ongoing supply chain issues. We have, you know, truly some persistent inflation. We have, you know, worker shortages. Uh, We don't have immigration. You know, China's in lockdown impacting the supply chain. You know, we have uh, Russia invading Ukraine, roiling energy markets, you name it. Um, there's a lot of things that have happened that, you know, we had expectations, but they've changed quite a bit. And we've seen that royally impact stock and bond markets over the last several months. Um, so those are kind of setting the stage to what we've seen here so far this year. But um, I just pulled up a quick list of you know some broad index returns. So these aren't, you know, actual investment returns. Indexes don't have fees, all the common disclosures there. But if we just look at year to date and, you know, here we record this on May 11th. And so these are returns through May 10th. You know, so year to date, 2022, the Russell 3000 growth. Uh, so these are more growthy assets. You know, we've done a lot of episodes over the last couple of years about how these growth assets are destined to underperform. You know, they had really strong returns, but it just, they were, candidly trading at um, nosebleed valuation levels that just couldn't really be justified. Somewhat similar to what we experienced in the 1990s with technology stocks. And nobody can predict the timing when these things are going to happen, but it it often tends to be pretty swift. And that's what we've seen. So uh, the Russell 3000 growth is down, uh, let's see, 24%. The NASDAQ's down actually a little bit more than that. 
um, if you just look at the S&P 500. So now the S&P 500 is still fairly growthy. I won't get into the reasons why, but it's kind of changed composition um, due to what's transpired over the last decade or so. Uh, but that's down uh, nearly 16%. Uh, Russell 3000 value. So now here we go to the other side of growth. So these tend to be cheaper stocks, tend to be slower growth. They may have a little bit more debt on their balance sheet, um, things along those lines. Uh, it's only down 9%. Uh, so quite a big disparity there between the growth and the value, uh, about 15% difference between the two. And, and then here's the one that also is getting people, you know, hey, what about my bonds? What about the thing that's supposed to be, you know, the safe part of my portfolio? Well, if you look at just the U.S. aggregate bond index, so the Bloomberg uh, Barclays U.S. ag bond, uh, it's down just about 10% year to date. So, Walter, I, I, I don't I'm looking at this here and granted, I'm a little under the weather, but I didn't I didn't see any positive numbers there. Did I miss something? I heard, I heard a lot of negatives uh, in there. <laughs> a lot of I'm, I'm picturing lots of minus minus signs. <laughs> yeah. So so this is comes back to the idea of diversification. And, you know, most people, um, particularly when they start working with us, uh, you know, they generally will have the majority in U.S. stocks. You know, people, not just in the U.S., but around the world, has something what's called a home country bias. We tend to prefer the things that we're more familiar with. We tend to prefer those things that we're around, whether we drive, you know, by uh, Walmart or McDonald's or Amazon or whatever the case may be. Um, we tend to own more of those things that we're familiar with. It just comes back down to that behavioral aspect of is, our brains. Is that necessarily a, a bad thing? Because, I mean, I'm just going to take like a, an everyday example, like Shark Tank. They say all the time, like, hey, this looks like it might be a great investment, but I just don't know this space. So it's not right for me. I'm out. Now, that's a little bit more complex as they're actually talking about helping to run the business in that space. So I, I realize there's more context there, but it seems like that's championed as like a good decision to invest in what you know. Yeah, there's there's a really big difference here. I mean, it's a good point that you're making, and um, there's a really big difference here. And here's how I'll take a quick tangent, and this is something really important to keep in mind. And I think a lot of business owners suffer from this too, because um, if you look at the people that have created the most wealth in, in our country and, and around the world, it tends to be you know business owners, somebody that had a lot of concentration, that maybe had some luck. I'm sure they worked really hard and they created you know, a successful business and probably a significant amount of wealth for them. And that's how they created it. But how they created it and how they preserve it are generally you know, two different things. What you're talking about and what the Shark Tank people are talking about is you know, buying an individual business, is operating an individual business. What we're talking about is really um, um, diversifying and not taking any specific business risk, but taking market risk. And those are two different types of risks. You know, you can own a whole group of stocks, whether it's the S&P 500 or, or, or many others, and you can diversify any um, specific. And here's I'll give you the egghead alert here. Dr. Finca would call this idiosyncratic risk. But basically, that is. Yeah, <laughs> that triggered it. That did it. Egghead alert. <laughs> All right. It, it's idiot, been a while since I heard it. Idiosyncratic. <laughs> I, did you just actually start slipping and call it idiot syncratic risk? <laughs> <laughs> I might have. <laughs> uh, that's that, actually that, that's the alternate might, spelling. <laughs> that might work pretty well, but you know, it's you don't get compensated from taking risk in an individual company. You, there may be a luck factor you and may create significant wealth. Um, but you, <laughs> the reverse may be also true. And, and, and many, many people, uh, have seen that over time. 
Um, but it's, it's just very different. I mean, we're talking about kind of apples and oranges, truly, particularly for people that are in retirement or close to it. And we're talking about making sure that their money's going to last their lifetime. You know, probably one of the worst things that you can do is really, you know, take a lot of concentrated bets. Certainly it could work out, but the probabilities are not in your favor. And, you know, you could really end up losing the war on the last battle, which makes zero sense. Um, so yeah, it's a great question, but it's, it's kind of diversifiable and non-diversifiable risk. If you're going to take a market risk, you know, broadly speaking, you know, that's non-diversifiable and generally speaking, risk and return are related. So if we're taking market risk, we expect to be compensated for that. Otherwise, why would we take the risk? We would just own bonds or cash or whatever the case may be. Make I know sense? you'd set me straight. Yeah, I appreciate that. So thank, <laughs> you, right. thank you for the tangent. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, candidly, and I'll mention this too, you know, it's, I, I, I went through quickly through the different returns. You know, we're, we've been in this, uh, and this will kind of get into the next, this will be a good um, transition anyway, but we've been in this period of kind of low inflation, low inflation expectations and high growth over the last several years. You know, we, I've mentioned many, many times about how these high growth assets, yes, they've done well, but candidly, it's not, and some companies certainly have grown and grown their earnings and grown their earnings per share. And that's been a net contributor. But if you look at it in general, it's really been a behavioral thing where people just have bid up the price. So rather than paying, you know, $20, uh, you know, for every dollar of earnings for the company, they said, no, 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 thank you. Uh, we think it's worth 30 or 35 or 40. And they just really bid up the prices of these stocks. And it's, it's, it, it happens time and again. And it's just how people are, unfortunately, you know, it's a sort of a euphoria that they have. There's a crowding behavior. You know, they have this FOMO of missing out and then they just start kind of chasing on and driving up the price further until the music runs out. And, and the music s certainly has run out over the last several months and we'll see, you know, what the future holds beyond this. But if you look at some of the real high flying, you know, uh, names over the last several years, over the last decade, but particularly over the last several years too, you know, all the, uh, the FANG stocks we've talked about, you're down much, much more than that kind of broad growth index that I talked about. Um, there's one that I particularly like to pick on. It's kind of the poster child of this whole era. It, it's a exchange traded fund. It's the ARC. ARK Innovation ETF. And it's like, you know, mostly Tesla, uh, Coinbase, like a few other kind of high flying, you know, companies that have very low earnings and very high, you know, multiples that people are paying. And, and that uh, the ticker symbol, if anybody wants to take a look at it, is ARKK. And unfortunately, it's been so commonplace that we've seen this in, in portfolios, you know, for people that we're starting to work with. And they've just completely chased these returns on the way up. And the returns, um, really the most flows uh, into the fund, and this happens time and again, this isn't just arc, but this, any sort of exuberant period like this, you see this happen, you know, people don't, they, they use that hindsight to go ahead and, and pick this fund. They say, wow, look at this fund has had like really, really high returns over the last three years. You know, I, I should go ahead and invest now. And then they kind of pile on, um, as the price is already high. So the price has already run up on these things. Um, most of the flows for arc came in, uh, starting in December 20, January 21, it, the fund reached its peak uh, in February 2021. It's down more than 70% 
you know, from that high in February 21 to where we are today, and it's down more than 50% in 2021. So all those people, if you look at the, like say the five-year returns for ARC, it doesn't look all that bad. Certainly relative to risk, it's not all that favorable in my view. Um, but the thing is, you know, those are what's called kind of the time-weighted returns, whether you go on Morningstar and you see that reported or, or Yahoo Finance or wherever the case may be that you're getting information. But the actual money-weighted or dollar-weighted returns that people are getting are way, way less than that because they bought in at the high and now they bought in, you know, probably somewhere around the high water mark, you know, when all you know, say, hey, look at this fund, you know, we're a five-star fund, you know, this time is different, you know, don't invest that old way, invest this way. And then they bought in, they bought, you know, kind of crowded in. And now they're down probably 50, 60, 70%. And unfortunately, I mean, I, I think of a, a, a new client that we have and literally like all of their money is in this large growth bucket. Um, ARC is in there and, you know, we're working with them like, you know, candidly, we didn't explicitly say this, but we look at this like, wow, this is this is crazy. It was my initial reaction. This is not rash. I know it was maybe a more fair way or the way that we would speak to somebody about this, but, um, you know, they're down like 30% year to date and they're freaking out and say, you know, I mean, this is why this is exactly why you chased it on the way up. You bought it when it was already high. Now the music ran out. Now the market is down and now you're scrambling saying, Oh crap, what do I do now? And it's unfortunate, you know, certainly we wish we would have been able to kind of meet this person before that they made these decisions, but you know, there's no time like the present to be prudent. So, um, it kind of is what it is, unfortunately, or the old adage of wall street charges high tuition, um, unfortunately comes to, comes to ringing in my mind as well. So that's been the environment that we've been in. We've been in kind of this high growth, you know, low expected inflation. You know, you had things like growth stocks doing really well, corporate bonds doing really well. Um, and just U.S. stocks in general and developed stocks in general have done really well. That's been kind of this predominant regime that we've had over the last decade or so. And that's where most people's assets are. Uh, well, you've heard of the traditional 60-40, I bet. Yeah, the 60-40 portfolio. So what's the 60 40 as you understand? 60 stocks and 40 bonds percentage wise. You got it. And if you look over, you know, and that's pretty common in, in, in literally, it's not just people, but literally like institutions, endowments, pension funds historically had risks similar to that. Um, it's kind of evolved from that over the last decade or two, but um, it's kind of a good good starting point, if you will. It's fairly common. Um, most people know it just as you do. And it had its best, best risk-adjusted returns, you know, really over the prior 10-year period, you know, ending last year. So we've been in this regime where, you know, interest rates were declining, growth was going well, you know, all these stocks were just kind of, people were bidding up the multiples, bonds did well. And now it just changed and it changed quickly. And there's two kind of key variables that I would think about when you're kind of thinking through this. Um, and it's really kind of unexpected inflation changes. So, and, and again, here's that unexpected word. It's not just if we have inflation, it's really the change in expectations. It gets a little wonky to think about. Um, and then the other one is kind of, a changes to growth, whether we have, you know, higher than expected growth or lower than expected growth. And if you kind of plot those out, you know, on think of like a little map, you kind of come up with like a four quadrants where, you know, you can have high unexpected inflation and low unexpected growth. 
um, so on and so forth. So what I mentioned is like really that prior 10 year period or so, really since the financial crisis, we've had that low, uh, low expected inflation, high growth and growth stocks, corporate bonds, all really developed market equities have done really, really well. And this is where most of the people have most of their assets. And that traditional 60-40 stock bond, even though you have 40% in bonds, here, I'll ask you a question, Walt, and I don't expect you to, to know this, but um, I think you might be able to make a good educated guess. Okay. How much of the risk in the portfolio of the 60, traditional 60% stock, 40% bond comes from stocks? Uh, 60% of it? You know, so he, and here, here's the thing, and that's that's a a good guess. I okay. mean, because it seems like what you would you would think, right? That seems logical. Well, I mean, I got sixty percent in stocks and forty percent in bonds, but but here's the thing: one, stocks in general um, uh, have leverage. You know, companies borrow. Um, so uh, on average, if you look at you know the S and P five hundred. You know, there's kind of like a two to one leverage ratio that they have there. So um, if stocks were com so there's automatic anytime you have leverage, you're going to have more kind of volatility there. And stocks are inherently more volatile than bonds to begin with. So because they're more volatile than bonds, um, when you actually decompose the risk factors, literally about 90 percent of the risk in that traditional 60-40 stock bond comes from stocks, 90%. Um, it's just because of that volatility difference that I just described. So, so, so the 60-40 mentality of being a, the split of risk is really a, a misnomer or a really quite a, quite a piece of misinformation, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it completely is. The 60-40 on a risk level is really 90-10, you know, stock and bond. So mm -hmm. in terms of risk, in terms of defining it by volatility. So if stocks are down a lot and bonds are kind of holding their value, you know, that may be fine. But, you know, because 90% is coming from stocks, it could it's, it's still going to dominate the portfolio, you know. And then obviously we have times like we're in right now and we'll see if it continues. But we've seemed to gone through like uh, a few of these different quadrants, you know, quite quickly. We went from the period that we've been in. Um, actually, it seems like we've kind of gone through all four really in the last couple of years, which is a little bit unique, but uh, low expected inflation, low growth. So whenever COVID happened and the whole world shut down, you know, we had inflation expectations drop through the floor, growth expectations drop through the floor. It was a shock. You know, these are also things not just like COVID, but, you know, the Great Depression, financial crisis, the tech wreck. When things just go really, really bad, really the only thing that does well in those environments uh, are government bonds. So while, you know, we've we've had this period that we're coming out of and, you know, growth stocks did well, corporate bonds did well, real estate did pretty well, even value stocks did fairly well, um, all developed market equities did good. When COVID happened or those other big severe events that I just mentioned, it's really only government bonds that kind of, you know, shoulder uh, the weight there. Everything else kind of, you may have heard the phrase, you know, all risks go to one and everything else just kind of drops together. Government bonds are really been the, the only historical um, solace in that environment. So we had that in, in March of 2020, you know, then we kind of got through that. The Fed came in and just kind of, 
you know, went with their bazookas and started kind of quote unquote printing money. And, and we had also fiscal stimulus with checks being sent out to people both here domestically and global uh, central banks around the world. We got back into this kind of, you know, high growth. We, we had low inflation expectations. And then um, really we're kind of uh, <laughs> just more recently got into this, you know, high unexpected inflation and, and we still had, you know, fairly high growth. So I would say that's been kind of more uh, typical that we've seen uh, over some months where, you know, real estate was still doing fairly well commodities you know, have done pretty well. Even some emerging market bonds and stocks do fairly well in that environment. But, you know, that was probably a period, if you think more so like the 2000s, you kind of post the tech wreck and before the financial crisis, I would say that was more emblematic of that period than any. And now um, more recently too, we've had some, um, you know, this, we were still growing well, but we, the market seemed to be more concerned about inflation, but now at least over the last, you know, couple of weeks is uh, stocks have sold off, you know, quite a bit and bonds have actually started doing well again. Um, we've had more concerns about growth. So the markets have become um, more volatile in general in these in regards to these expectations. And I think that's probably something that is likely to continue for a while. Um, but, you know, in those periods, like we've had more recently, commodities have done well, you know, gold's done fairly well. You know, this is kind of more like the 1970s, um, kind of that stagflation period, at least in some ways to what we, um, we're experiencing more recently, but um, those are some of the assets um, that kind of do well in those different environments. And I think that's important enough to know, again, most people, when you look at the risk, you know, say if they do have the traditional 60-40, 90% of the risk is coming from stocks. And if you actually look into what they actually own, it's really going to be assets that, that typically only do well in that one regime, generally speaking, of you know, the period that we just came out of, kind of the high growth and low inflation. Um, let me pause for a moment. I know it's been kind of rambling on here, but Walt, bring me back down, buddy. Um, making sense? Any questions you got? No, you're making sense. I, I'm along for the ride today. I, I'm enjoying the uh, the perspective. It does feel good to take a breath, though, so this will be good. Gather gather those thoughts. You were steamrolling for a while in a good way, uh, which I liked. So, no, <laughs> keep, keep, it, keep it going because I think this perspective is fantastic. All right. So just a, a couple other things, and uh, I think— As long as we don't have idiotic um, you know, <laughs> measures or what was it? That's great. Idiosyncratic? Yeah, it was— <laughs> It's idiosyncratic, um, it, which is diversifiable risk, but candidly, a much better name for it is idiotic risk. Because if you can diversify it and you don't get compensated for it, why? Or on an expected basis, you may have a luck factor. But why would you want to take it? So that's the best slippage that I, I can think of <laughs> in a long time, buddy. So great, great I, to have. I you was on. able to contribute to today's episode <laughs> in a positive way. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to share with Michael Finca uh, that I think he'll probably use it as well. Oh, excellent. Um, Excellent. So if I go back to kind of what's been working year to date, so a couple things. Um, so the only thing, um, I don't want to say the only thing, but a few things that are positive. Again, commodities are positive. Commodities are up quite a bit. So anybody that's building a home, 
um, knows this, you know, anybody that's shopping at a grocery store, anybody that's filling up their tank, you know, they, they can see this happen. Um, commodities are very difficult to own. Um, they're very volatile. You know, candidly, they lost money for, um, probably about 15 years. So to put, actually own them in your, in your investment portfolio, I, candidly is very difficult for a lot of people. Even if you have a good understanding of the role that they play, it's just, they're, they're very difficult to own. So I'll kind of mention that. Um, you know, leveraged loans are bank loans. So these tend to be a like, very short duration, higher yield, a little bit riskier loans in, in certain environments, but those are actually a positive on a year to date basis. Um, so that's, and I think that's a good point too. Anything that has higher cash flows, you know, could be value stocks, could be emerging market bonds, high yield bonds, leveraged loans, um, real estate, anything with more kind of near data cash flows, higher yielding tend to do fairly well, um, or at least have held up better um, in the more recent period that we had than stuff that like like the growth stocks, like things that have much future data cash flows. So that's that's a general principle to kind of keep in mind here. Um, and then I've talked about asset classes, but I'm, now I'm going to mention like a different strategy. Um, so it's, it's using a, a lot of the same asset classes, but the way that it's using it is different than what most people traditionally would do with these assets. And we just call this a, a trend following strategy. So yeah, it uses things like stocks, bonds, currencies, and commodities, but it kind of uses that crowding effect that I mentioned where, you know, as things are kind of going up, and you're, it's exhi exhibiting positive momentum, kind of like a really strong trend, it will buy those things. And it's truly just kind of a price following strategy. Um, but also on the other side, um, if things are going down, um, like bonds were going down, interest rates were going up, but bonds are going down. It's an inverse relationship. So a lot of these trend following strategies, really because the positive commodity trend and the increasing interest rate trend said another way, the negative bond price trend have actually delivered quite positive returns so far. So I'm just looking at like the, uh, it's just for Morningstar, it's just a combination of all the US funds in the systematic trend category. And it's actually up 16.7% year to date. So that's, you know, all those negative numbers that we mentioned, leverage loans are up slightly positive, but that systematic trend is up quite a bit. So, uh, and this, because it can kind of go both ways, it can, it can own something, um, long and follow the positive trend up or it can own something short and follow a positive trend or the negative trend down. Um, it tends to be non-correlated, both to stocks and bonds overall. Um, so that's, um, that's a really good kind of portfolio diversifier. It's also difficult to own and probably a little bit beyond the conversation for today, but there are different ways where you can incorporate it and probably make it easier to own. There's been different investment investments developed over the last several years that kind of combine it with some other strategies that candidly make it easier to own. And uh, if you are a true wealth client, this is something that we're going to be touching on in our uh, our client letter that we're posting here to your client fault. I would say probably uh, it, it, the one thing I want to take you to take away from today's conversation, in addition to kind of not losing sight of, you know, why we're talking about this again, it's all tied back to your financial life plan and what have you. Um, but it, it's really about preparing and not predicting. Sure. We may, may certainly favor certain assets that are more reasonably priced. We may choose not to follow the high growth stocks up into nosebleed territory where there just doesn't seem to be any legitimate fundamental reason to do so. But these changes in the market dynamic, particularly that we've seen over the last several months, they, they happen quickly. Um, literally in just a matter of like several days to maybe a week, it seems like we've gone from one regime to the 
other and the market's just moving so quick. So if you are, you know, um, think you're smarter than the average bear and saying, well, okay, you know, hey, I really like my high growth stock returns, but I'll just change whenever, you know, the regime changes or something like that. Candidly, that's probably something I was said in my early 20s before I had more humility um, and didn't know what I didn't know as much as I do today. But it, it's really about preparing and not predicting. It's really about focusing on, you know, where the risk is coming from your portfolio and trying to build more of that all weather portfolio, regardless of the regime. You know, just thinking beyond the traditional 60 40, trying to have some other things that are going to be in there that are particularly going to go ahead and be the ballast to your portfolio when we have, you know, the sort of inflation and growth shocks that we've been having. You need good ingredients, but you really need that good recipe. You know, it's, I like to call it kind of portfolio craftsmanship. Sure. If you're building a house, you need to have good lumber, you need to have good tools, you need to have good concrete, but you better have good people that are using those tools and those materials properly to go ahead and, and, you know, have a quality craftsman home. Same thing when it comes to investments. Um, and the one rub, even though all of this, uh, and I can bore you and anybody else to death with all the kind of the empirical evidence or the science-based evidence belying all this, Walt, it, it's, it's like, even though it could make sense, if you can't stick with it, it just doesn't make sense to do it. And it makes the sense to have something that's kind of optimized for you that you can stick with, that you can own. And one way that we think of this, it's really called tracking error. And it's so difficult, but you know, when the S&P 500 and growth stocks are soaring, nobody wants diversification. You know, they just, Hey, give me that, you know, that thing in my portfolio is doing really well. Give me more of that. You know, that other thing, man, it's got like low returns or maybe even negative returns. Why do I want to own that? And, and then ultimately, you know, the music runs out and, and here we are and, and maybe you're down, you know, 20, 30%, hopefully not more than that when that happens. So, it, you know, it, it's retire smarter, it's invest smarter, it's trying to do all these things smarter, it's trying to be purposeful, trying to use science, uh, really trying to prepare, not predict, not trying to have luck, but trying to be broadly accurate in what we're doing. It's all of those things. But I, I think the time in the market that we're in right now and probably going to continue to be in, um, all of these things are going to become much, much more important in that whole portfolio craftsmanship and just understanding and really kind of that diligence of tying things back to your financial plan are become much, much more important. The Federal Reserve seems they are probably have <laughs> really impacted investment returns and asset prices over the last, you know, 15 or so years. And they just don't seem to be able to do that, uh, given the inflation that we've been having. So it seems like a lot of the things, a lot of the prudent planning, a lot of the prudent diversification that we need to have is likely to become much, much more important and a stable part of what we're going to need to be doing over the coming years because uh, a lot of the um, probably Fed-induced lack of volatility and asset price increases is no longer going to be the case. When we uh, didn't have to worry about inflation or when it wasn't currently happening, uh, people tried to ignore it. And when we didn't need to worry about, you know, diversification, people were, you know, ignoring that, just like you pointed out. And it's a good reminder that a well-balanced plan isn't just well-balanced when it's convenient for us, but needs to be kind of that way all the time. And uh, that kind of, I feel like, resonates kind of from what you're talking about today on the on the show, Kevin, and kind of a good marker to take from here. So the, our plan needs to be properly structured all the time. Not just, uh, you know, when all of a sudden we're in crisis mode, then we got to proper it structurally. Do it right from the beginning and you're in good shape. So you, you got it. <laughs> Sorry, Walt. My, uh, my three-year-old is getting ready to go to school and uh, our morning routine 
is uh, is that she comes down and uh, to my office. I'm working out of the house uh, right now while we're in Florida, and and she likes to show me her pretty dress. So um, she she didn't know. And probably doesn't get it that we're recording a podcast and uh, Daddy's she, talking. She doesn't care. Why would she care about <laughs> <Yes>. that? <laughs> That's pretty not dress. important. Picking out the pretty dress is way more important than uh, recording the podcast episode. So I'm glad we were able to take a quick break for that. Make that happen there, Kevin. Uh, if anybody has questions about something you've heard on the show today, I, it might have brought up some concerns about your plan, your portfolio. Well, here's the good news. There is help available. Kevin Krosky and the fantastic team at uh, True Wealth Design can certainly help you out. Whether you're in the Northeast Ohio area, Southwest Florida, the greater Pittsburgh area, where all the kind of local locations are, or really anywhere, uh, they can help you remotely, of course, with today's technology and digital world. All those options are available to you to meet remotely as well. Here's the easiest way to get in touch and find out if the True Wealth Design team is a good fit for you. That'd be to go to True Wealth wealthdesign.com. Click on the Are We Right For You button, and that'll allow you to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the team and begin that conversation. So it's easy to schedule, easy to have that initial conversation and find out what next steps might look like, address some of those concerns that are on your mind. You can also call 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855 855- TWD plan, or again, the website is truewealthdesign.com and look for the Are We Right For You button. And we'll put that contact info in the description of today's show so it's easy for you to find. Kevin, appreciate the help and all the guidance on the show today. Glad we triggered an egg head alert as well. And uh, we'll have another new episode coming out in a couple of weeks with uh, Tyler joining us, which looking forward to Tyler Emmerich uh, joining the program uh, to sub in for you, Kevin, so you can rest that voice a little bit. Feel better, my friend. All right. Appreciate it, Walt. Thank you. All right. You bet. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll see you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.